Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. That is a remarkable singer, composer, humanitarian, Angelique Kijo, often referred to as the queen of African music. Of course, she was a guest on this program back in January. We had a lot of fun with that, and we'll revisit that conversation a little bit later in the program. This is Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. March is Women's History Month, and March 8th is International Women's Day. And every year, there's a theme. And for 2022, the theme is Break the Bias. We can remember that being biased doesn't make you a bad person. You can knock down a wall and turn it into stairs. It is through having the courage to confront your prejudice that you can show the world that you care. The future is calling on you to shape it. Will you be there? Let's break the bias. That is an excerpt from the internationally acclaimed spoken word poet Anissa. Break the bias, this year's International Women's Day theme. And there are a lot of other systemic challenges tied to the plight of women on a global scale. So joining me now on this Women's International Day, a conversation about those issues. Today's guests have all appeared on the program, and we're glad to have them back. First up, Michelle Nunn, CEO of the International and Atlanta-based humanitarian aid organization, CARE. Also, Salima abdul Ghaffer. Director and Chief of Staff for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Paige Alexander, CEO of Atlanta-based The Carter Center. Welcome to you all. Thanks, Rose. It's great to be with you and this amazing group of women. Absolutely. We're going to take over the whole show today. <laughs> Let's begin first with, I guess, recognizing two of the still of the events right now, one being the pandemic that we're still in. Um, what progress has been made? Michelle, I'll start with you just to reflect on where we are two full years into this pandemic on a global scale and as a, and as a nation here. Yeah, it's uh, hard to imagine that two years have passed. It was around International Women's Day uh, two years ago that we started to recognize the true nature of this global pandemic. And uh, we have seen, I think, um, both you know, incredible progress, for instance, in the in the creation of a vaccine, of the extraordinary heroism of, of frontline caregivers, 80% of whom are women, by the way, around the world. And yet we also stand at a time when uh, only 
10% or less of many low-income countries uh, have been vaccinated. So a very unequitable um, set of, uh, of results and, and a huge um, challenge for women and girls around the world in terms of interrupted education, in terms of loss of livelihoods and incomes, in terms of disproportionate impact around gender-based violence and caregiving responsibilities. So it is the appropriate moment to really reflect upon um, around the role of women and the uh, and the opportunity to ensure that they are leading the way into the future. Hmm. Salima. Yeah, I, I agree completely with Michelle's uh, assessment and her statements. And, and, and we are in this moment of, of a tale of two cities where there are extreme challenges that women are facing abroad in Ukraine and many other places in the world. And then right here, as I listened to the State of the Union and I thought about what it must be like for women who are trying to protect their sons, their children, their families in Ukraine. I thought about the women that I know who are struggling right now in Bangladesh, who are struggling right now in Chile, who are struggling right now in Atlanta with maternal and child health and mortality rates going up and higher than normal breast cancer rates. So I really think that um, this is a renewed call for a renewed commitment to a comprehensive plan for women across multiple sectors. All right, Paige. Yeah, and there has, so much has happened. And I think before COVID, women, we saw women moving up the ladder in the workplace. They were running for public office and winning, attending schools and staying longer and experiencing an overall increase in economic empowerment, lifespan and rights. And, you know, I know from talking to my daughters who are both of working age now, you know, they don't understand why I continue to say these gains have been so fragile. And it just takes something, you know, not just like a global pandemic, but literally anything that happens, the insecurity we're seeing in Ukraine now. You know, my daughters were upset by the fact that that men were being held back at the border. And why not the women? When I look at YouTube and figure out how people are holding Kalashnikovs, it's the women who are putting that on. And so I think that you, there, there's an equity issue that we're looking at for women's role in this newfound system that we have in a post-COVID world and where we fit and, and how best to assert ourselves and to recognize that it is very fragile and, and that we have a lot to do to help continue to bring women up through the ranks in all areas. Paige, you mentioned Ukraine. Uh, Salima did as well. So let's get, Paige, you mentioned Ukraine and Salima did as well. Let's talk about this situation because the longer that this war continues and we know that women and children are the ones that are fleeing, what are the consequences here the longer this war is prolonged for women and girls in Ukraine? Yeah, I, I would say it's hard for us to even know at this point, given the the fact we've not seen a war like this on a continent like Europe in 80 years. So Michelle has uh, so much experience having seen this in the Carter Center as well and the instability that we see in Mali and Sudan and Liberia, what this meant for women during that period and during the Civil War. We don't really know. And that's actually that great uncertainty is something that that is a deep concern because it's on a continent we've not experienced it mm. on before. Michelle. 
Yeah, I would just add that uh, Ukraine was on CARE's list of under-recognized crisis, the top 10 under-recognized crisis in the world. There were already 1.5 million people that were displaced in the Ukraine. Um, there have been thousands of people that have been killed, and this is is hugely expanding the humanitarian crisis mm -hmm. uh, at at enormous proportion. So in just the last seven days, we anticipate that there'll be over a million people who will have, again, on top of the million point five, be displaced. 80% of those who are uh, seeking refuge, um, uh, partly for the reasons that Paige alluded to, are women and children. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there is, um, there is there is really no end in sight to the the human suffering that is at stake here. And, uh, and so I think our solidarity with the people of Ukraine and our response to the humanitarian need of ordinary citizens who are um, are suffering greatly. And also, I will just point out that we anticipate that what has already been a hunger crisis around the world in so many countries is anticipated to be greatly impacted by, uh, the, by this war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. which is in some sense a breadbasket for many countries. So lots of downstream impacts, and we have to stand in solidarity. Mm -hmm. Salima, what do you want to add? You know, I want to I want to add, and I agree with what Paige and, and Michelle in the comments. I, I I continue to think about the fact that we don't have the luxury to just focus on one crisis. Right now, there are so many crises mm -hmm. all over the world, and what I kept thinking about last night was, and voting rights in this country are under attack, and the rights that women have particularly enjoyed reproductive rights, voting rights, et cetera, in this country are under attack. And how do we meet this moment given the significance of um, the challenge? And as Paige said, the fact that, you know, these significant gains that we've made over the past decades are really at uh, being threatened right now and being mm -hmm. taken away. So we really don't have the luxury to focus on just one crisis. We really have to focus domestically and internationally hyper local but also understanding our impact at the at the global level and how do we best meet that moment well let's talk about this moment because if you had to do an assessment check if you will let's say over the last 50 years from a global standpoint how should we define in assessing the current state of women and girls with the global lens. What are those metrics that we examine? Is it financial security? Is it free from persecution? How? And I know it, it varies, obviously, because every nation is different. Every culture is different. But are there some basic metrics that we should be looking at to say, you know what, here's the progress that we've seen the last 50 years. Where do we begin with that, Salima? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is civil rights. Do so you have freedom oppressed? Are you are you able to vote um, free and unfettered? I mean, that's just a basic and fundamental right. The, the right to vote is both sacred and fundamental in this country. And so having free elections where people feel that they can actually come forth and not be harassed, not vote as they believe, um, it, it is amazing to me that here in 2022, I'm deeply concerned about whether that will continue to be the metric. And that's that's globally, right? But I just never thought that here in Georgia, I would be worried about it. So I, you know, as I think about the men and women who have been deployed to Europe from Georgia, not to fight in Ukraine, but to boost our presence with our allies, I think about you know, what will this election look like at the end of the year and whether I'll be able to 
the, the last thing that I'll say in this point is I'm also deeply concerned or deeply tracking the disruption that the global pandemic has made to several people have already talked about it, Paige and Michelle, but how we view work, um, uh, how uh, the, the inequity that the pandemic has shown and how that's playing out. I think about more black and brown people have been sickened and died from COVID in this state. I think about the people who have lost their job, the people who don't have um, the ability to stay home and work and, and their income is tied to going out. And um, those things are top of mind as I think about my brothers and sisters in mm -hmm. Ukraine who are fighting uh, what, what appears to be an unjust war. Michelle, Salima mentioned civil rights. That's one of the top metrics she would say that we start examining when we look at the progress. Yeah, well, I know Paige knows well President Carter's uh, quote of uh, the, the fact that um, that women's rights were still the most important and under and neglected uh, human rights in the world. Um, Hillary Clinton called us to that 25 years ago uh, plus in, in Beijing, and and we should we should herald some of the progress that we have. I mean, I'll just give you a couple of statistics. Um, we uh, just just um, 10 years ago. Uh, one in uh, in 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 four um, children were married. Girls were married under the age of eighteen. Now it's one in five. That's ten years progress. Mm -hmm. But that is still a long way to go, right? And then the the second uh, way of thinking about the arc of change is twenty five years ago, eleven percent of those who were serving in parliaments around the world were women. Today it's twenty five percent. But 25%, it should be 50%, right? And uh, and so we know that we can't make the kind of progress that we need in the world when we are not giving equal opportunity to half of the world's population. And I think that's really uh, the call um, as we think about International Women's Day. Paige? Yeah, you know, just to add to that, uh, the the increase in gender-based violence the that we have seen during COVID, uh, the job losses, uh, women have lost jobs almost two times the rate of men. Uh, there are 13 million fewer women employed in 2021 as in 2019 because men's employment has already fully recovered and women are still trying to get that balance right as if it were a balance that we've been struggling with for a very long time. COVID added to that. Uh, and, you know, as Salima was talking about, you know, the healthcare, you know, we're, we're sending people out into whether it, it, it's wars or, or uh, into other jobs and where the policies are actually preventing women from getting the health care they need at the same time. So we're asking more and providing less. And I think that this is going to be a problem that we're going to see. And this is domestically and it's globally. Paige, I want to stay with you. When we talk about the systemic challenges that you all just mentioned, and then you mentioned policies, and here's that question. When we always talk about, okay, how do we find the solutions? How do we affect change? Is it through policy and legislation? Is it through simply having more women in leadership roles? And again, I know it changes from, from nation to nation. Heck, it changes from state to state in this nation. But through a global lens, the theme for this year is, you know, how do we break the bias? That's a mindset, right? Where do you begin, Paige? It's, it's been, you know, intentional and purposeful 
and the scalpel-like precision of the interventions you have to make, whether it's on the policy front to secure a base of health care as a human right, or whether it's providing additional grants or services to, to vulnerable populations, all of those have to be very purposeful and very intentional because you can't just throw a blanket, you know, you can't throw a bucket of water on this and saying, I'm sure everyone will get something to drink. That's not how it's going to work. You really have to work very hard to rise up the, the people, the most vulnerable populations that need it. And I think that those are the focus areas that I know Salima, Michelle, and I really try to, to go in with scalpel-like precision because that's important. Scalpel-like precision. Well, Salima, based on what Paige just said, then how do you do that? Yeah, I, this is a this is a really good point, and, and and certainly having more women be represented in parliaments and, and legislatures across the country and world is part of the answer. I also think one of the things that we're seeing now, and, and this might be like the good part of uh, social media, is the elevating um, diverse voices and emerging voices. So finding more community-based activists, um, people who don't necessarily register on, on very high profile or not pundits, don't, don't have, a, have a, a brand behind them, um, but who are actually in touch with neighborhoods and communities and people. This is a model that you see work a lot in places like Liberia, mm -hmm. in places um, in, in, in rural communities that have limited access in this country as well as abroad. And so looking for the community-based voices, which are often female voices or female-friendly voices, um, to drive local policy change has been very effective and how you know it's another question how we scale that and clearly page and front lines of that work but i think seeking those more so and not just the loud voices and those who can garner the largest the the the, the, the most amount of likes is a big part of what will improve this picture for women mm. michelle yeah, I think Salima said we have to do a lot of things at once, and that's absolutely true. And that's true in the fact that we have to act locally and globally, and that we have to um, in engage activists, and especially grassroots activists and women activists, uh, and lift up um, and support their voices. And uh, and we have to recognize that we all have individual opportunities to run for office, to advocate for policy change, to um, support programs that uh, that are you know that are working, to create a care economy. Uh, we do have to have a multi-dimensional approach to this. And I do think that International Women's Day is also truly an opportunity for us to think uh, around solidarity with women around the world. If you think about the, the challenges that women have faced, they've been similar whether you've been whether you're in Ghana or Sri Lanka or whether you're in uh, the United States uh, increases in in GBV rates um, increases in the loss of, of income uh, the huge burdens of, of care that have fallen disproportionately upon women um, these are all things that we have shared in fact we see rising maternal mortality rates not only um, in some places where we've seen uh, where we've had real progress um, but including the United States, as an example. So this is an opportunity for solidarity and for um, for thinking about the challenges at a global level. Michelle, what does that solidarity look like? We all have different ideologies. We all have different cultures, traditions, religions. What does that solidarity look like then or should look like as women leaders? And you all are 
leaders in your respective roles, you know, and or even an ally if you are a a white person, you know. For this moment, I do want to address that because yeah. let's be really clear there there is division. There is division, and we uh, and we need to to um, I think need to recognize that. I think we need to build bridges, um, and I actually think that women are really powerful bridge builders. If you look at just uh, for instance issues of peacekeeping around the world, where women are involved in peacekeeping, you have lasting peace in diff- in ways that is statistically different. Um, and so I just I want to lift up that I think that uh, we we need to be focused on um, as I said solidarity and bridge building, but also on rights and fundamentally centering these issues of justice, because I do believe that we can all recognize the um, the rights that we all have to equal opportunity and the realization of health rights, the realization of, of the rights of, for uh, economic opportunity, uh, for financial inclusion. Um, and uh, and so I, you know, I hope that we can find some common ground when we talk about uh, rights and equity. Hmm. Salima, solidarity. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything that Michelle has said, and I I would add. I mean, it sounds so simple, but listening, right? Like there there is a, we see that here and abroad. Like seeking out voices, stop, you know, representing others, but pass the mic, as a, a friend of mine says, who's a PhD in anthropology. She said, yeah, you don't have to represent her. Pass the mic. Let her speak herself in a way that you may not have listened before. That's the work that we're doing in in my foundation. That's the work that I'm doing in my community. That's the work that needs, I do think needs to happen in this country and abroad is is a new level of listening. And I think women are actually well placed to lead this work, to break the bias because it's it's already in our DNA to listen and not to, um, you know, not to romanticize it too much. But I think because of the role that we play in families, neighborhoods, communities, cities, countries, women are listening. So expanding your capacity to listen in the spheres that you're already in, I think, would be a tremendous benefit in terms of showing solidarity. I know a thing or two about listening, and I can tell you it does work. Paige, solidarity among women. Yeah, you know, you mentioned, Rose, finding allies, and I think that that's a really important element of of when we do our programming. You know, Michelle had talked about women as peacekeepers, and there had been a presidential candidate that everyone made fun of when he talked about a binder full of women. But the reality is that needs to exist. We need to know who the women, who the community voices are who are out there. And at the same time, there has to be an allyship because you know we're in Democratic Republic of Congo, for example, and our door-to-door household awareness programs, the team consists of men and women, because I think that that's how this is on gender-based violence. This is how you get the message out is when people are speaking to each other and they're hearing from like-minded people that look like them, that are in the same position of power that they're in. So without that, you're, you really have to triangulate it. So it's both the community side and, and, and the allyship. I think folks that listen to this program know that often toward the end of a segment, we try to hopefully give the listeners, the guests do, um, some insight into what's working. I don't want to say feel good stories, but stories that tell the story. As I always tell folks, it's not about the storyteller. It's about the story. And I want to each of you give each of you opportunity to tell the listeners about an initiative or a story within your respective space that encapsulates what we're talking about today in terms of 
International Women's Day and progress that's been made. Paige? Sure. Well, I'll just start with a story in Bangladesh that I love. You know, when COVID-19 hit and the educational institutions were closed, people, young women were trying to find ways to continue furthering their skills. But access to information is often very hard. And for a woman to get access to information, it is often even harder. So as we, as the Carter Center Program on Access to Information taught some of these school-aged young girls where to go, they went to an agriculture extension office and they submitted an application to be able to do training. And the, the, ag, the ag center had to set up a training for just women because that's how they were wanted to do the training. And these women now have had entrepreneurship training, they're getting allowances and new skills, and they're grafting and doing mushroom cultivation. These are things that would not have happened if they were in school, but once school was closed, these are things that they, because they got the access to information, they were able to figure out how to promote themselves. And wow. that was, that, that's one of those great stories I love. Wow, Michelle. Yeah, 30 years ago, a small group of women in Niger got together and with CARES support started uh, a savings group and they put in a little bit of money each week and um, and they started saving. They completely changed their own lives and their communities and their families' trajectory. Um, fast forward 30 years, now half of the women that have been elected to political office in Niger have come through one of these savings groups. Wow. And uh, those 30 women have grown to over 12 million women in 50 countries that are part of these savings group. And our hope is to uh, is to get to 60 million within the next few years and to really create a tipping point because there are 800 million unbanked women in the world. And, um, and they're at the bottom of the economic pyramid and yet they have so much power um, and we need to just ensure that they have the capacity to um, to deploy that power and to uh, and to support them in that and to stand in solidarity with them. Ah, I love that. Salima. I want to uplift Tara Roberts, who is from Atlanta, and she is the first black woman on the cover of National Geographic. I just spoke with her a couple of weeks ago. I know. I heard about her on, your, on this show. And I mean, she has done a body of work where she is following African-American scuba divers who are looking for shipwrecks um, with enslaved Africans. And the story is so rich and textured and compelling. And um, the courage of the scoopers, but then the connections that she makes in Costa Rica and on the African continent, that um, new, a new and fresh perspective on African Americans in this country, but also our connection to Africans on the continent of Africa has been so wholly compelling. Um, as a citizen of the world. And I'm just, I'm so proud of the work and I'm so grateful for the work. It was, um, it, it has been much more touching and personal than I ever thought it would. And I think particularly because, you know, this original sin of slavery in this, in this country and the fact that we're still very much struggling with the legacy of slavery mm -hmm. in this country, it brings such a new, historical and compassionate lens to the work. I really encourage people to look at, you know, read the article. There's all sorts of 
um, educational assets that go along with it. But, you know, she's been on Good Morning America, so you can plug in in, in any of those ways. But thank you to Rose Scott for bringing her to the to the Atlanta audience. And she's she's a native of the of the of the state. And like so many of our women leaders, she's a native of this community. And yet her work is resonating around the world. Mm -hmm. And um, that's who I, I I'm uplifting today. And if you haven't heard the podcast, it's called Into the Depths. It's a worthwhile just checking out. One final thing, since Salima gave a little shout out and was uplifting Tar, I want to give you, Michelle and Paige, your time to uplift another woman. Could be mom, could be anybody. Salima, I'll give you another one, too, just to be fair. Michelle? <laughs> I will uplift one of the amazing care participants named uh, Salamatu, who was married at age 12 and joined one of care savings groups and uh, worked her way through to support her family. But not only that, but to start um, the uh, the savings group program in Cote d'Ivoire. And she's called the mother of Cote d'Ivoire savings program and has thousands of people that are now participating. So um amazing uh and inspirational leader page so so i should uplift my mom because uh, i wouldn't be here without her obviously but i will tell you walking into the carter center and knowing what president carter wanted to do with this access to information for women i'm i'm going to uplift laura newman who was uh, who's been a 20-year veteran at the Carter Center, and she started the Inform Women Transform Lives campaign, which is intended to raise awareness for women's fundamental rights to information and support cities to reach women with underutilized services uh, using an information bridge. So we started this in 12 uh, cities around the world, and we're now up to 24 cities around the world. And really for every vision she had to involve these cities and to get them on this path, uh, it means that it is affecting that many more women. So for me, it's it's Laura Newman for starting this program. Right. Salima. I, I will uplift my mother. You know, we, we call her Umi. And yeah. um, she has been my um, courage and my heart and light and my unfettered support. She had COVID last year and um, her physical body is still healing from that. I'm so grateful that she is still here with me um, and through her gained tremendous compassion for what so many people um, deal with uh, in COVID. And I consider myself to be someone who's very fortunate um, and, and, and has private insurance and, and resources and connection. And yet we had a very hard time with COVID and it was really touch and go. And I'm so grateful that she's still here with us and um, she continues to remind me of what's possible in the world. All right, they all sound good to me. Salima Abdul-Ghaffar, Director and Chief of Staff for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Paige Alexander, CEO of Atlanta-based The Carter Center. Michelle Nunn, CEO of the International Atlanta-based Humanitarian Aid Organization, CARE. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. Next time we'll all be in person somewhere. And Paige is a cook for us. Yeah, I'll be bacon. Yes, okay. because if listeners, what they don't know is that prior to this conversation, we had a very in-depth conversation about cast skillet irons and Dutch ovens and hot water skillet cornbread and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> Paige, you're cooking next? <laughs> I'm cooking next. It's on me. If I can get the rust off the cast iron skillet, it's on me. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Happy Thanks, Rose. International Women's Day. Very fun to be with you all. Thank you. Bye. 
Thank you, Thanks, Will. Thanks, Rose. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. The song is flying high. That is why it's so great about being the host. I get to pick the music. Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. So glad to be finishing today's show with this next guest. And right now, you all are about to be amplified by a global creative known as Angelique Kijo. The album is Mother Nature, but there is so much more beyond her voice. She's been called the queen of African music, named among Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2021. They they left me off, but that's okay. And also, there is a must read as fellow artist Alicia Keys pens an amazing snapshot about Angelique Kijo. You have to check it out. So currently on tour, but she's making time for little old me. Angelique Kijo, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Rose, for having me with you. You know, Your smile is just my day up. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to use that in a promo. You know, when I was reading um, what Alicia Keys had to say about you and teaching her to dance and feeling the music. And when you hear fellow artists give you all those very well-deserved accolades, what goes through your mind? What goes through my mind is uh, celebrating our kinship, our shared humanity. And even though story have pushed us apart through o- between, I mean, ocean, mm-hmm. we still prevail. We still here. And we're still doing what we need to do and we're doing it right. So for me, it just makes me stronger, humbler, and ready to hit the stage anytime, especially coming to Atlanta. Guys, ladies, bring your dancing shoes. <laughs> you know, it's great to hear you talk about being able to hit the stage. Of course, we're all still dealing with this pandemic. How has this altered you the last two years? How have you been doing through all of this? It has been difficult. It has been difficult because I'm a very tactile person. I like to touch people. And during my show before COVID, I'll go in, into the public. That's my favorite moment where I go and high five the public, mm-hmm. be with the public, invite them on stage for us to have this unique experience of being linked together through music. And um, I have to shift that. And looking forward that this will happen again pretty soon, that we can hug. We can be there for one another physically, not virtually anymore. Virtual is a good thing. It keeps us in contact, but there's nothing better than being with somebody 
and hold you tight when you need that squeeze. So it's been difficult for me that like that I love people and I love hugging people, but I'm I'm being patient because we all have to be patient until mm-hmm. we can safely hug one another. When did you feel it was all right? It was right for you to get back and, and tour and hit the stage and it's it's in limited. It's not like, you know, you're you're really spacing yourself in between cities or or are you hitting it city after city like you normally would do? No, I'm spacing myself. And the thing is, I would not have been able to go back if I was not vaccinated, fully vaccinated, because I have to protect myself and protect my musician and the public. I mean, if there's no more public, you cannot play. So you can't just be playing around with people's health because of this pandemic that is lingering on. And for me, music has given me the strength of seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And I know for people, it's very hard. It has been the third lockdown was the one that hit me the most because I'm like, mm-hmm. we can't go on like this. We are not made to be caved. We are made to be out there and going about our business and meeting people we don't know, meeting the one we love. And music has been the force that drive me to believe that tomorrow's gonna be better. And we have to believe it's gonna be better. Each one of us have to do its share for us to come together and play music and bring our kids to school, bring them to the park and have fun. You recorded Mother Nature during this pandemic, and I'm curious about your process. I always love to ask creatives about their process, whether it's composing or writing. And did the pandemic, was uh, some of this, and and we're all dealing with this, but you dealing with this, was that, uh, did it prompt you to write some new music too? I mean, I think the lockdown, the positive thing that it brought to me is uh, the sense of no deadline to finish what I'm doing. But writing songs has always been uh, uh, a solitude thing. You gotta do it yourself. I mean, the inspiration is there and you got to catch it and drive it and keep the truth of it and the essence of it. Mm -hmm. And this album, what it has allowed me to do is to have the luxury of sitting home and being in conversation with all those young artists for us to do things, being safe. The technology has been great working with Earth Gang from Atlanta and me being in Paris was one of the the magic of this technology. I mean, there are good thing about technology and we use the best of the technology to keep in contact, to do this music that we hope when I lift people people up, listen to it and just have fun. And the thing that is really interesting is that it has been nearly zero carbon footprint album. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have to do our share to protect Mother Nature. We owe we owe it to her because without her, I don't know where we're going to be. I don't have any ambition of going to leave in March, on March. No way. I'm staying here. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know, I, I do want to shift, shift for a moment because this is just me being the host and the tribute that you did to the wonderful legend Celia Cruz. Um, simply titled Celia, um, a late Cuban singer. It was just amazing. I loved it. It was released in 2019. I'm going to play a little bit of it. How special 
We'll see you, Cruz, for you. I mean, Celia Cruz was the first female salsa artist that I met. Really? Because till then, it's only men that do. I mean, come on, de- show me a salsa band band with women that are really uh, you, you, you got me there. You're right. You got I me mean, there. She's the queen of salsa for a reason. She drives the guy, and the guys follow. And when she raises her hand, she knows what she's driving them. And she taught me at that moment when I was in Benin looking at her on stage. I'm like, really? I mean, when you are a woman, you can do anything you set yourself to do. Why should you put any barrier and any, and nothing is going to stop me from doing whatever I'm going to do? Because if she's able to play salsa and having Johnny Pacheco playing everything behind, I'm going for it. <laughs> Who are your other influences? I'm curious. In the music- Ooh, you don't want to go there. It's a long story. It started with the traditional musician in my country, mm-hmm. my mom, my dad. Both of my grandmother were strong women, independent, and they taught me that if I want to do something, I got to do it fully and be happy about it and let people speak. If they don't like it, it's their problem. <laughs> and, and then music, of course, you have Aretha. I mean, as a young little girl, she was one of those first black women that come in with, the, with her dress sitting in front of that church. Mary, don't we remember that song? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ooh, Ooh, and it started, yeah, and gospel. I mean, listen, most of our yeah. our our legends will tell you they start they started singing in the as they say the church. They don't say church; they say yeah. the church. They started singing in the but church. It's the, the best school ever because gospel. When you sing in gospel, there's you, there's no place you can hide to. It's gotta come out. It's your guts. You can't be singing the gospel and, and think, thinking to yourself, I have to keep this for myself. Nah, I ain't gonna happen. You just gotta <laughs> let it out or you're out. <laughs> Take the door of the church and go out. <laughs> we, and she does that with so much, uh, it looks effortless when she's doing it. And you can hear everything that you need to hear. And uh, it's just crazy the way she does her singing. I'm like, oh, lady, this lady is one of a kind. <laughs> When you think back to the very first time you started performing live and like now you're a legend, you're a veteran, do you still get any of the nerves? Do you still have that same process of getting ready to hit that stage? Well, the first time I was on stage, I was not ready. My mom pulled me from under the costume of a a theater piece, put the dress on me, shoveled me on stage. And I was like, (laughs) and then she didn't even come and save me. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sing. And I sang, I sing my song, blah, 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 blah. and then I go back, run out of the stage. And my mom said, you got to go back. People are clapping. I said, uh-uh, I am going back. <laughs> How I'm old? done. How old were you? Six. <laughs> <laughs> I can still hear my bones shaking like nobody else. I'm like, I ain't going back there. Hell no. <laughs> and then the next day I woke up, I told my mom, I went to my mom and said, mom, that feels really good. Don't you think so? Mommy said, you telling me this? I told you to go back yesterday. You said no. I said, but now I'm ready. Mom, it's too late. So <laughs> I said, it's too late. You got to wait another time. That six-year-old Angelique to now, you, you've you mastered the stage a little bit better now, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I love being on stage. I always say to people, if being on stage feel a little tiny bit, bit of being in paradise once you go and then you are, you are under God's wing, oh, the day I die, I'm going to 
I'm going to serenade God with all the artists that have come before me. We're going to put a party. He won't be able to sleep for days. <laughs> you, um, <laughs> do you ever think about slowing down or, you know? Uh, well, I slow down when my body slow down. As long as my body can carry me and my spirit, my spirit is still up, I'm going to continue singing, being an activist for women's rights, women's empowerment, young girls going to school, not being married, and for our shared humanity to be more celebrated and for us to live in more fair society with, with less discrimination or none at all. And, and I think it's appropriate to end our conversation talking about your activism. You have been so vocal, not just lending your words, but you are active. You're in so many efforts and working with UNICEF. This is so important to you. It is important to me because, I, as I said, especially women in Africa are the backbone of that continent. And if you take a step back, there's no society that can survive without women. So why are we the one paying the price of not having access to finance, of not having access to what we deserve? The men cannot survive with us. The society cannot survive with us. With us. Yet we are perceived as handouts. No, we don't need that. We just need to have access to finance equally to men. And we're, we're going to invest differently. Women have a different vision about the world because our, our focus is always how do we prepare the future for our children? We have to send them to school. We have to have them good health, good food, and we have to save money for the hard times. And we reinvest all the time. It's not just about making profit. Making profit is part of it, but mainly is the survival of our family, the well-being of our family that is at the center and the core of what we do. So therefore, I think any government that wants sustainable sustainability should think about women empowerment financially in any different ways, in many different ways. When the little little girls, the little bitty ones come up to you and they say, and I know they've said it, Miss Angelique, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Well, it happens to me actually with one artist from South Africa that remind me that it's Shoma Josie. And when I saw her, she was 12 or 13 and she came with her father to my show. And then she said to me, when I grow up, I want to be you, but I don't know if I can. I said, that second phrase, you have to take it out. Mm. Just go for it. Just take your wings and fly high. Don't let anyone stop you. If you want to be like me, you gotta be courageous. You gotta be true to yourself. You gotta be bold and do what you love. Don't let anyone stop you. People will criticize what you have to do, but know that criticism is good for you to be alert. You take what you want about it and you do what you want after that. Be free. I'm gonna take those words and put them up. I'm a big girl. I'm gonna take those words and put them up on my wall. Anjali Kijo, you're gonna be performing at the Rialto Center for the Arts this Saturday night. Thank you so much for taking the time. Made my day. Thank you so much. And our listeners, thank you so much. Thanks for listening and thanks for having me. Mind and body like a bird. We flying high. We flying high. You can fall, fall, fall. Or you can rise and soar. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Our other produ- producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. 
And remember, you can always send me your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of this fantastic conversation, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 and in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Confusion and struggle, lost in the dark. You might listen to me. We flying high, we flying high. You can fall, 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 or you can rise and soar. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE Politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE Politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.